morning. That was about the age I was. Fifty years ago, when I came to Kansas City, I graduated from the University of Denver and moved here, and I started in Asbury United Methodist Church over there where I met John and Mary Lou Turner. That was 50 years ago, so <laughs> time flies. This morning's scripture can be found on page four of your worship guide. It is 2 Corinthians 9, chapter 9, 7 through 12. Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. God has the power to provide you with more than enough of every kind of grace. That way, you will have everything you need always and in everything to provide more than enough for every kind of good work. As it is written, he scattered everywhere. He gave to the needy. His righteousness remains forever. The one who supplies seed for planting and bread for eating will supply and multiply your seed and will increase your crop, which is righteousness. You will, made, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way. Such generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us. Your ministry of this service to God's people isn't only fully meeting their needs, but it's also multiplied in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, young man. <laughs> so as I said early on, this is the second week of our message series, Gratefulness, and we're talking about that heartfelt attitude towards God. That is there because our cups overflow. Gratefulness becomes the centerpiece of who we are. We learned last week that gratefulness reflects the image of God that is in us. The fullness of God's grace living in us is the image of God in us. And when we can live gratefulness in our world, we reflect who God is to the world. This week we're going to talk about what it means for gratefulness to be sponsored by a glad heart. What does it mean for us to have a glad heart, and how does that influence who we are? Because I believe that God invites every single one of us to live with a particular purpose in our lives, to be generous. That God's purpose for all of us is to be generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. That these be tangible representations in our lives that our hearts are full, filled with joy and cheer, that we are glad, that we are grateful. There are many days of the year that I love. There are a lot of days in the year that I love. I love Easter and I love the spring, new life coming through. For all of you who sit here and look out in the, in the garden in the area, over here you can see the trees begin to blossom in the spring. Or the ones over here, and it's beautiful to watch spring begin to emerge. I love vacation Bible school time of year because I get a chance to interact with about 90 kids who come through our back doors and their parents. I get a chance to talk with them and visit with them about what's going on in their lives. I love summer vacation because I need a break from you all periodically. Actually, no, you need a break from me periodically, so you're probably glad I go on vacation every once in a while. But I, I love vacation. Just as I love the spring, though, I love the fall as well. Think about the beauty of the leaves that are changing colors around us. 
I love the Advent season and Christmas because it reminds me of why we as a community of faith gather to celebrate the Christ who would come and be one of us. I like the start of baseball season and I like the start of the NFL season. I don't always like the ending, you know, recently, but... And I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that for many of you, there are days of the year that you really love as well. But I'm also going to go a little further out on the limb and say that there are days of the year that you don't like so much. I'll tell you my one day of the year that I really wish I could get past every single year. Anybody got any guesses? Tax day. April 15th. I wish I could get past April 15th every single year. You know, April 15th comes year after year after year. I almost said the first Tuesday in November when we vote for president, but thank God that only happens once every four years. Amen? Right? But every year the tax man comes. Every year April 15th comes around. Now, make no mistake. I want to make sure that that you understand this. Margaret and I are civic-minded people. We believe that the government should provide for certain things within our society. And as such, we are responsible citizens. We pay our taxes every single year, just like I am certain. I'm certain that all of you do as well, right? You know? However, did you hear the big but right there? However, I'm... I come from the perspective that I think there's a certain amount of waste within our government that needs to be filtered out. It needs to be researched and gotten rid of because it costs you and I, the taxpayers, a lot of money. I think there's programs that most of the electorate has no idea of what's going on. And if we did know what was going on, we wouldn't be all that excited or enamored with and our tax dollars are being used for those things. And for many of us, we're wondering what is the tangible benefits that we really see out of every single dollar that we send to our government. And so for many of us, tax day isn't exactly the favorite day of the year, right? Now think with me, what's the emotions that go behind tax day for many of us, right? How many of you run to the post office on April 15th, you are glad, cheerful, joyful, exuberant, handing the the, the postman your your letter, right? You know, Any, any, any takers on that one? No? Any of you trying to figure out how to do it at the last minute? Because you're begrudgingly going to the post office to hand in your documents. Not exactly our favorite day of the year. I understand that God desires for you. And God desires for me to experience gladness, joy, cheer in our lives. Joyfulness, abundance that engenders a gratitude in our hearts and a generosity as an expression of that in who we are. But the question I would ask you is, how are you doing in that? How is gratitude emerging from your life? Maybe the way to check that out, a friend of mine once said that the the two things that you ought to look at that demonstrate how you value life and what you do with your life and the perspective that you have is to look at your calendar and see what all is on your calendar and to look at your bank statements and your credit card statements because those tell how you spend your time and money. Those say what you value. Those say what you are finding fulfillment in. Maybe even gratitude. 
And maybe, in some aspects, we need to research those to see if we have misplaced our perspective and what we want to give our time and talent to. I think about the gifts that get given to St. John's periodically and how that influences our own generosity as a community of people. I think about the gift of music last Sunday. How many of you were here last Sunday? A good number of you. What a beautiful gift we received, amen? Right? And the gift of music. John and Mary Lou Turner were fond. They, they found great joy and fulfillment from the arts within our community. One of those including the Kansas City Symphony. Most of you don't know this, but John did not want a funeral or a memorial service. He didn't want us to fuss over him, is what he said. Right? Instead, he wanted some music played on a Sunday morning just in his honor. It's kind of a tribute. John wanted music to be played in worship so that we might be remembered for his love of beauty and the arts, especially the music in our community. And so Mary Lou, on John's behalf, gladly worked with Dale to provide that for us to experience, to provide with us the gift of music, to be generous, and that that came from her own glad heart for her husband. I think this is God's desire for all of us, that God wants us to have a glad, joy-filled heart, not to live life begrudgingly and not to give begrudgingly in our expression of who God is. If you think about Paul and what Paul dealt with in a lot of his different writings, one of them was a community of faith who had lost their joy and it was impacted. It impacted their participation in ministry. It impacted their mission that they were a part of. It even impacted their own practice of giving and generosity. This church began to fall apart. The Corinthians story, if you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians together, is an interesting kind of story because what happens to us, the readers, is, is we jump into the middle of things. The literary term, in medias res, applies to 1st and 2nd Corinthians because we jump into the middle of the story of what is happening with Paul and these folks. It's the only two documents, the only two letters that we actually have from what is considered to be multiple letters that Paul wrote to them. It's a community of people that are influenced by cultural norms, Roman cultural norms as well as Jewish ethos of religion. These two things are colliding and mixing in the church and unfortunately for Corinth they cause divisions within their community of faith. And so because of that they get off task, off their mission. It dampens their spirit, it dampens their responsiveness. According to the book of Acts and some of the letters that Paul wrote, Paul went with two women, Prisca and Aquila, to Corinth. And there he established the church, the ecclesia. He spent 18 months living among them and helping them to form their worship community. They took with them the gospel of Christ's peace to all people and how that could be lived out in a small group, a church. And then at the end of that 18 months, Paul, along with Prisca and Aquila, left. And they went to Ephesus. Paul had many other places to go. His journey that he was on at this time was to raise up an offering that would be given to the poor in Jerusalem. So he was hitting all these small churches around the Mediterranean area asking them to participate in this. 
And so he left Corinth and went to Ephesus. He left the two women in Ephesus and he continued on his journey to places like Jerusalem and Antioch, Galatia, Phrygia. And then he went back to Ephesus. And when he got back to Ephesus, a letter was waiting from him, for him from the church at Corinth. Scholars say that in the midst of that letter, which we don't have, they began to name all the things that were causing division within them as a community of faith, and they were seeking Paul's counsel, his wisdom. The purpose of the need for Paul to write so many times was to influence them, to try to convince them. The Jewish Christians, number one, had begun to permeate the life of Corinth. And for them, they brought their own ethnic religion with them, which meant that if you were a Gentile who wanted to join the Corinthian church, they wanted you to abide by some of the aspects of the Jewish law. Circumcision would have been one of those, right? Other kinds of aspects of the law. They wanted that to be a part of who they were. And that began to cause problems for them. Also, other kinds of factions and infighting began to the point that they started suing one another. Have you ever been sued by another church member? Anybody? No? Right? In this church, they would bring lawsuits against one another. And then other practices within the community began to break down because they found out that there was also sexual immorality. There was problems with their order of worship. They had questions about their own theology on the resurrection of the dead. And many of them wondered if Paul really was an apostle and if he should be believed. All of these issues crept into the life of this church and from it, it dampened their spirit. It dampened their generosity. And Paul's missional objective was averted. For these people... They no longer experienced joy, gladness, gentleness. Their hearts weren't filled with God's love. Generosity was not flowing out of them because they were a fractured community. But that's not where they wanted things to be left off. So they sought after Paul. Paul writes them another letter. And in this letter, Paul simply explains to them the grace of God that is sufficient for all things. The sacrificial gift of God that is love for all people, that is for them. The unconditional mercy and forgiveness they could experience and should be giving to one another. And that they could live in blessing spiritually and material as a community. And they could reach God's highest aspiration for them to be grateful in all things. Cheerful in how they give. Paul's hope for them as a community of faith was that they might reclaim their gratefulness to God, their gladness of heart, their generosity in their giving, that their time, their talent, and their treasure might go for the purposes in which God intended it to go for them. But God did not desire them to be, as I said, begrudging givers. For that in no way would reflect the image of God in them. Rather, God wanted them to be cheerful givers. For gratitude to well up and cause joy in their hearts. This is a letter I think that many of us could probably learn from as well in different aspects of our life. I I hope not the infighting in the lawsuits. Don't learn that from Paul, right? right? But we could learn and be reminded that God desires for every single one of us to be grateful as well. 
for gladness to be the part of our hearts and our souls that wells up the most and that we respond for purposeful aspects of our lives, God's purposes in our lives, that we be intentional about how we live. I shared a story with Allie and Jessica and Dale this week during staff meeting. It was our devotion for this week, and I want to share it with you real quick. It seems that every year on the last Sunday of July, all the little local churches in the country of Zimbabwe get together. All the little local United Methodist churches in Zimbabwe get together for an annual celebration. They call it their Harvest Thanksgiving Celebration. And so all these churches get together and they sing and they pray. Their prayer groups come one by one. They sing their favorite songs that are collective for all the churches. Some churches showcase their new songs that they've created and sung themselves over the year. Individually and collectively, each one of these churches gathers to praise God with body, soul, and mind. And they come to share their gifts of thanksgiving to God, the blessings that they have experienced over the year. They celebrate from a deep well of gratitude to God. And it's evident in their joyfulness, in their cheerfulness, in the presentation of their praise and their thanksgiving. But what struck me the most is the article said that they were purposeful. They were intentional about this every single year. To celebrate with deep gratitude. I think our scriptures remind us that God's deepest desire is for us to respond to God and to the world around us from a heart that is filled with gratitude. To be joyful, cheerful givers to God and to God's purposes. And that should be the purpose of our lives. To live life to its fullest. Joan Chittister wrote a book called The Rule of Benedict where she talked about uh, Benedict, the, the Roman Catholic saint. And in it, she says the, these words. A disciple once asked a holy one... Is there life after death? And the Holy One answered, The great spiritual question is not, Is there life after death? The great spiritual question is, Is there life before death? Are we living life to its fullest before we die? Are we living life to its fullest according to God's vision for us before we die? In cultural terms and in cultural values, we know what it means to live life to its fullest. To live the American dream, right? That's kind of our cultural assumption of living life to the fullest. Some of us achieve that in great number. Some of us not so much. For God's vision of what it means to live life to its fullest, it means that we love God with everything that we have and we love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. That is what it means to love to the fullest, to live life to its fullest. You see, Paul wasn't about institutional survival in Corinth. Paul was worried about their souls. He was worried about the state of their souls regarding their joy, their cheer, and their gratitude towards God. He was worried about how it might influence the world around them in this little town of Corinth. How is it with your soul today? Is your soul fractured and hurting and discouraged? Or is your soul filled with gratitude, joy? Are you cheerful? Do you live life generously? 
As you think about some of the things that I hope you will, will hold on to this morning, maybe for conversation later today, I would remind you that there, again, are times in our lives where we are joyful, cheerful. There's times in our lives maybe where we're not so much. That Paul was conversing with a community that had lost its joy. And because of that, it impacted not only their life as a community, it impacted all the individuals as well. They lost their unity and their practice of generosity. God desires for us to learn from that lesson. That we might learn what it means to live life to its fullest, to be cheerful, purposeful, and to demonstrate gratitude in all that we are and do. So here's your invitation for this morning. Let me go back to this, this question again. Is your life fractured? Are you hurting today? Are you discouraged today? I hope you hear this. God, the great lover of all of our souls, of your soul, wants you to experience most of all today healing. A healing that will help you reclaim your own joy, your cheer in life. If you're one of us, though, that are joyous today, then I would ask you this. Does that gladness within you permeate all of your heart and your soul? Does it permeate your everyday life? Are you being generous with your time, your talent, and your treasure? Are you living purposefully for God's full vision of your life? Because as I said, God loves a cheerful giver. That's the scripture for today. God doesn't want us to be people who solely give out of duty, loyalty, and responsibility. God wants us to be cheerful, purposeful in how we live our lives, how we give of our time, our talent, our treasure how we plan to live life to its fullest. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? So gracious and holy God, we come before you in this moment. Lord, we are reminded that it is easy for many of us just simply to give in to the negativity in our world, for us to lose our joy and our cheer. Because we, we think about these things from the world perspective. May we be reminded today, O oh God, that you have filled our lives with grace and with mercy. That you have given us the gift of your sacrificial love and your son. And that's enough to fill us. That all the rest of these things, they make life easier for us a little more enjoyable from the temporal sense. But for eternity, may we claim our fullness in you. And from that, may you create in us a generous heart, a glad heart. Would you help us to understand what it means to use our time, our talent, and our treasure for your purposes, and that in doing so, we can live life to the fullest in your view. Teach us this, O Lord. Draw us closer to this. And we ask all these things in Christ. Amen. So each Sunday morning we were um, planned on having a generosity minute. Um, unfortunately, somewhere along the lines this week, the system failed down on that. And so uh, the people that we had planned on inviting to come do it uh, got surprised this morning in chapel with that announcement.
And so they couldn't. But I, I thought I'd just share with you real quick a generosity minute from Margaret and I's perspective. Years ago, when, when Margaret and I started dating, we came from two disparate kinds of religious backgrounds. She came from the Catholic tradition. I came from the Baptist tradition. You guys have heard this part of our story before, right? And, and we decided that we needed to find something that was going to be a little bit more in the middle because I couldn't go to the Catholic church, and she certainly wasn't going to go to my Baptist church. And, and so we found the Methodist church in the Lee Summit area. It was a great place that provided that kind of medium way, the media via, for each one of us. It became our home. But one of the things that we knew early on is, is we wanted to give back to God as an act of gratitude and thanksgiving. That is something that each of us had inherited from our tradition. And so we were purposeful in doing so. We wanted to be diligent in doing that. No matter where we were in the economic spectrum, the days when we were struggling down here, or the days when we had more than we knew what to do with, we wanted to be disciplined. Because for us, that represented who we were as a committed couple to God. To give back as an act of thanksgiving. A lot of the literature says that pastors should be ones who model and emulate stewardship to the church. And everybody should know that you are giving. And and that sounds good as a duty and as a loyalty and as a representation. But that's not my motivation. Our motivation is to give because we love God. We are thankful for all that God has given us. We are cheerful. And we count it a privilege to participate with you in the ministries of St. John's by our generosity. I hope you do as well. And so in this moment, I'm going to invite our ushers to come. They're going to receive your morning offering today. As they come, they receive your gifts. Thank you so much for being loving and for being generous.